Welcome to the fifth episode of the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with quilter Elaine Poplin. Elaine will actually be joining me as a co-host for some upcoming interviews, and I thought it'd be great to start with an interview of Elaine. I can't remember exactly how I first met Elaine. I think it was via Instagram. She participates in the annual Bonnie Hunter Mystery Quilt that kicks off every year the day after Thanksgiving in the United States. And I think one year while I was working on that mystery quilt and looking at other quilters who were posting their progress on Instagram, I discovered Elaine. And from Instagram, I discovered her blog and spent several weeks going back and rereading all of her blog archives. So stay tuned for my interview with quilter Elaine Poplin. Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. My guest today is quilter Elaine Wick Poplin. Elaine is a quilter and high school mathematics teacher. She lives in Huntsville, Alabama with her husband and two daughters. She's taught quilt classes and workshops at local quilt stores, local guilds, as well as traveling around the Southeast for teaching. She loves traditional quilting, art quilting, modern quilting, and improv quilting. Elaine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. And did I miss anything in my description? I also teach yearbook and occasionally computer programming. And I have a degree in biology, which makes no sense. But there you are. And so how does your, your math teaching figure into your quilt making? Well, I've always played with number patterns my entire life. Um, I will go to the grocery store and if the total rings up to some numeric pattern, like 123, 45, I always notice um, it's just numbers constantly are just showering kind of like think about the matrix, the movie, the matrix with the numbers <laughs> that are sort of cascading. I actually explained to a kid around the time that those movie came out, movies came out. One of my students was saying, what is it like in your head? And I said, um, you know, the matrix. <laughs> and I said, yeah, there's this kind of what it's like in there all the time. Have you, have you made a matrix quilt? You should. I haven't, you know, I thought about it for a while, but you know, I, I don't, need to recreate that. Although, actually, I do kind of have one that is, um, I was cleaning up my sewing room and you know how, how things are with, when you start cleaning up, you get distracted and then go down a rabbit hole. And I started cleaning up by sewing strips of fabric together in um, similar colors into a gradient. And then I cut the strips into varying widths and it sort of looks like a cascade in chromatic colors. That's probably the closest I've gotten to making a matrix quilt, actually. And I sleep under it every night. That's great. So how would you describe the quilts that you currently make? Um, I'm, instead of me guiding the direction of the quilt, the quilt is guiding the direction of its own creation. Now, it took a while for me to get to that point. I used to follow patterns almost exclusively, although I have trouble following directions, I always modify the pattern somehow. But about 15 years ago, I started playing and just wondering about, I wonder what would happen if I tried this. And so then I try it. Sometimes the question 
that's all the exploration the question needs. And I've answered my question and moved on with my life. And sometimes it sends me off down a rabbit hole. So are you familiar with the website? It's, I don't think it's around anymore, but Quilt University. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Um, my mom and I took several classes there about um, how to find your voice creatively when you're quilting. And it, they were eye-opening. And who taught those? Do you remember? Uh, I knew you'd ask me that. Um, uh, it's okay. Myrna. Uh, I'd have to look her up. Myrna was one of them. Myrna. I don't remember her last name. Five letters started with a D, I think, but I don't know. And and so what outside of the Quilt University do you think help you make the, what helped you make that switch from just doing strict patterns to doing more play and um, seeing where things go? My mom is a trained artist. She has a Bachelor of Fine Arts from Syracuse. And both of my grandmothers were extraordinarily talented seamstresses and so I've grown up around art all of my life and mom would do, she and I would do set painting for local theater groups and she would send me off with an assignment and not give me guidance just to see what I did. And so I think, you know, here, Elaine, go paint a fire over there. <laughs> Uh, okay, I don't know how to do that. You'll figure it out. Here, here's the paint, go. And being sent off to do that and to figure things out on my own, I think made a huge difference in my confidence as a quilter. You know, finding ways to answer questions creatively in pretty much anything will open your mind to creativity and quilting as well. So how did you get started on your quilting journey? I was surrounded, of, of course, by seamstresses. My mom used to make clothes for me when I was eight. It was in the mid-80s and um, or early 80s, actually, when Xavier Roberts and the soft sculptured adoption dolls came out right before the Cabbage Patch craze. So this is what led to the Cabbage Patch craze. And I wanted one of those dolls, but they were 300 some dollars because they were custom made to order. And, you know, I was eight. Mom say, I'm not buying you a 300. <laughs> I'm not doing it. She said, but I'll teach you how to sew and you can make your own. And so she did. So I learned how to sew on a sewing machine when I was eight years old. And I made that doll. And I still have her. And she has 23 fingers and toes. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, I ever, did I ever tell you the story that that's the first thing I ever did with with sewing? Was it a doll? Yeah, I took a class on one of those dolls. Did you really? That is cool. Yes. No, you never told me that. Yes. Oh, that is awesome. Yes. That's I had cool. Never, I, had, I, had never, I had never touched uh, a sewing needle. Well, I take that back. I did some needlepoint that a neighbor showed me but um and i did one of those latch hook rugs do you remember those oh yeah 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 i had a bunch of those yeah um but yeah i took a class at a, at a local craft store on how to make a soft sculpture doll 
That is awesome. I've never met another person who did that. I did. It was, and I don't know where it ended up. I have no How idea. How in the world had we not come across that before? I know. I know. I, I mentioned, I've, mentioned it, I've mentioned it in a couple of interviews and stuff, but I, I yeah. That's I hilarious. Okay. I'm going to have to send you a picture of mine. She's, she's just hilarious. But That's then cool. after that, I started making clothes for her and clothes for me to match. And mom taught me how to do Seminole piecework, which is what my cactus is. And the rest is history. But I, Seminole piecework is a lot of creative, um, Strip piecing, you know, sew strips together and what I, whether, goodness, the angle at which you cut them and then attach them back to each other defines mm. the pattern. And if you s- shift it just a quarter inch, it can dramatically change the look of the piecing. And so I just, I'm still on a bender with Seminole piecework 40 years later. And so when did, do you know when you finished what you would consider your first quilt top? I was, uh, the first thing I ever quilted, I was also eight um, in my Girl Scout group. We did um, nine patch pillows. One of my mom's very, very best friends was Pat Flynn Kaiser, who is very well known in Embroiderers Guild of America was internationally known as a quilt teacher and silk ribbon embroidery teacher, um, especially in Australia. She's very popular in Australia. And she's she was a fixture in my life for a very long time. She died in May of 2017. Um, and she was brought into my Brownie Girl Scout group, and we learned how to do black work and cross stitch and hand embroidery. And each girl had a monogram. They, we learned how to do the stem stitch for embroidery um, with our monogram. We designed our own cross stitch pattern. That was my mom's um, contribution to it. Pat taught us how to do hand quilting. And then we put the whole pillow together. And I still have that as well. And so I was eight when I did that, hand quilted nine patch. And then I made a baby quilt to match it about two years later. And yeah. And you've been doing it ever since. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, I had a a bit bit of a break in high school. In high Mm -hmm. school, I mostly made prom dresses because I showed up to a formal and there was another girl on the other side of the cafeteria glaring at me the entire time because we were wearing the same dress. And I decided that would never happen again. So I made every formal after that. Wow. So what are you working on now? Can you tell me about your latest quilt? Um, I am finishing up my Seminole Suaro Cactus, which is um, big, about 48 inches wide, 72 inches tall. And what started it was last summer, I started cleaning up my sewing room, cleaning up the slow way by sewing strips of fabric together. And I have about seven or eight boxes full of solid strips organized by color, two and a half inch strips organized by color. And so I would just sew them together and then cut them apart at angles and sew them back together and cut them apart at angles and realizing 
just tossing them up on my design wall. They wanted to be a cactus. Okay. So then I kept going and I had to figure out how to piece all these sections together because my goal was to do the entire thing machine pieced. I finally had to give up an applique that really curved parts of the cactus because I just there were so many seams. It was too cumbersome to try to do by machine. Mm-hmm. But um, but that one's almost done. It's been that one was not a creative muse um, inspiration. That one came actually during a very, very dry spell creatively for me. My dad died in September of 2017. And so for about two years, I just didn't have any creative inspiration. And so I just kept showing up at the sewing machine and sewing stuff together and like squeezing blood from a rock. The the cactus came from that. Well, it's interesting because during that time, you were also sewing um, several uh, what I would consider very strict patterns like the Bonnie Hunter mystery quilts. Um, and I've noticed just in observing your work on Instagram and our discussions together that you tend to do these very strict patterns, but then also you're going back and forth between improv are, are those different styles and techniques scratching different creative itches for you, or is it all part of the same? Yeah, I think the really structured ones satisfy the left side of my brain um, because I am one of those split, split brain people with the whole math science side and then the creative artistic side. And so I need the regiment of the strict pattern, but I also call those prescription sewing. Somebody else wrote the recipe and I'm just following it. But I also never, ever, ever follow her color schemes because if I knew that my quilt was going to look like everybody else's, I'd get bored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I need the structure. I need the regiment, but I need some element of surprise. So I'd get that from the color. And it also improves my accuracy a lot. I mean, in doing the Bonnie Hunter quilts, I have noticed that my my um, quarter inch seam is now dead on. <laughs> um, you can't do points, too many Bonnie Hunters without that. Yeah, my my um, points almost always match beautifully, and if they don't, I know it's not going to matter because the quilts will be so involved that you won't notice that the wing of that particular goose got chopped off. Right. So, but I I love the really prescriptive sewing as sort of a palette cleanser between the wildly creative, oh goodness, journeys that I go on. Sure. So do you have any organized way of keeping track of the quilts you've made? Oh, uh, well, uh, piles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a piler. My grandfather used to say to my mom, every table is a, or every horizontal surface is a table because he was a stacker and things just end up in stacks and then I'll go find them again when I'm cleaning up and get excited again. But I do have bins of projects that are in timeout 
<laughs> and, and they're in timeout for various reasons. One, you know, one might be that I'm mad at it because I don't like the direction it's going, or it might have just gotten to a um, a step that's going to need some more thought. And so I'll put it in timeout and work on something easier so that my subconscious can go try to figure out how how to finish a project. I was just curious because I know you used to be a scrapbooker. I wasn't sure if you had any kind of organized system of keeping track of everything that you've finished. Not documentation, no. Not documentation. No. Well, I, first of all, I don't want to know. <laughs> My husband used to ask me to keep track of how many I finished in a year. And we discovered that I averaged finishing about 25 quilts in a year. And that decided I didn't need to keep documenting that because it it's not a competition and I don't want to give off the sense that it's a competition and that I'm trying to do better than other people because I'm not sure sure so I just I do this because it's you know more legal than painting graffiti on overpasses absolutely so what what got you into teaching quilt workshops and doing trunk shows um, I apparently have been teaching all my life. I didn't know this until I was pushed into the classroom suddenly when I was 26. But um, I I love helping people understand new projects. I like to see people get excited about things. And every time I show a quilt, people will come usually come ask me, how would you do that? Can you teach a workshop on that? I want to know how to do that. And so I would go to retreats and do little five-minute demos of uh, curved piecing or improv piecing or glue basting or whatever someone had asked me to show them. And then it just started, the quilt shops started saying, hey, would you come teach that? Could you teach a class? Could you put together a class for that? Because I'm accustomed to lesson planning at school, I'm able to put together handouts and take them to my quilt classes and students in my classes have said they really like my handouts a lot, even though I don't usually let people have them until halfway through the class. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want them distracted? Oh, no. Here's the thing though. You hand, give somebody a handout. Now you tell me, Jeff, if this is wrong, cause I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong because I teach high school kids. So, yeah. Um, if I give out a handout, I've lost them. They're reading the handout. They're not listening anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And so I went to Orlando and I was teaching for the Orlando Modern Quilt Guild. And I got in there and depending on when people were set up, I say, when you're set up and ready to go, let me know. I'll come over and I'll give you a job. <laughs> and when you are either finished with that job or bored with that job, call me over and I'll give you another job. And so that was how I ran the class. And they're like, do you have a handout? I said, yes, but I will give it to you later. You don't need it right now. The handout is so that you can look back and remember what you did today. But you don't need the handout. That actually kind of reminds me of your story earlier about your mom. Go, go paint a fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what, what was amazing about that, my mom saying, go paint a fire was that when she came over and looked at it, she said, Oh, that's really cool. I would not have done that. And I like your idea so much better. That's great. And that's well, so affirming. 
Oh, it is. It is. So do you quilt your quilts yourself? Yes. Yes. It started because I'm too cheap to quilt by check. And now it's because I love it. You know, somebody has asked me, what's your favorite process? What's your favorite part of the quilt? And my answer to that is usually yes, (laughs) all of it. (laughs) (laughs) I like the planning. I like the dreaming. Um, I like watching it. So what what long arm do you have? I have an Innova 22 that I bought um, last fall and it came in January because Innova, they're made in the U.S. and they're made to order. So they don't just have them in a warehouse. You have to wait once you get it, which is delicious. And so it it came after much anticipation and I've just had a blast. I've put over 3 million stitches on it just on my own stuff. Just on your own stuff? Do you ever, do you ever quilt for other people? I have quilted one for my mother. Um, I've done three quilts for a local friend and I actually have one. The backing is loaded for the woman who taught me how to piece um, in a traditional sense. So she now lives in Seattle and she sent me two quilts to quilt for her. So, but what is that? Six. (laughs) 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 So I'm beginning to quilt for other people, but I'm right right now just trying to up my confidence. So when you're piecing a quilt or making a new quilt, are there fabric colors that you often come back to or gravitate to? I love uh, poppy red and acid green and orange. I don't know why. So, but I tend to, by every year for the Bonnie Hunter uh, mystery, I choose colors and almost always those two are involved. And I have to go, no, 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 stretch, <laughs> do something else. <laughs> and, and so how are you in terms of buying fabric? Um, I know there are some people who really pay attention to uh, fabric designers and specific lines. Um, wh- when you go into a fabric store, are you buying for your stash? Do you buy for a project or if you're at a show, what, what's that process like for you? I buy for a stash and I basically, buy based on color. I almost never buy for a project. I never buy yardage for a project. So for a particular project, I'll put it that way. So you're usually pulling from your stash for. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one reason why. What what is that? Go ahead. Go ahead. We had a house fire in 2012 and it completely changed my entire approach to sewing and stashing fabric because it's just stuff. And why do I have it if I'm not going to use it? What am I saving it for? Do I enjoy it more on a shelf or do I enjoy it more in a quilt? I like it better in a quilt, so use it. So I don't hoard for future use anymore. I still have things that predate the fire that I was hoarding for future use, and I still wonder why I still why I have it because – um, but I, I just love finding color combinations that excite me and using those rather than designers. I went to a, a weekend retreat in Michigan several years ago and the woman next to me kept asking, who does, who's, what's that fabric? Where'd you get that? What is that? What designer is that? <laughs> and I would, I would just say, oh, it's, it's yellow. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm very similar. People ask me that all the time, and I'm like, I have no idea. Look and see if you can see the the. the <laughs> yeah, because it's just no it's not important it. to me. You know, I I, I don't. I see these beautiful quilts that are all one designer that have been put together with all one designer and that's lovely, but I can't work that way. I would, again, I don't follow rules real well. So, so. what, in, what inspires you creatively? Are there other arts outside of just the fabric and quilting that inspire your quilt making like books or music paintings or movies? Everything. I love, um, I have a lot of experience in the theater, so I love lighting, um, painting, of course. I like to paint, although my daughter keeps stealing my canvases, so I'm canvas-free at the moment, so I need to fix that. But um, mixed media is really neat. I'm inspired by collage, although I don't do it. Um, I like to look at it. Um, Goodness, fashion. It's always neat. I like to make clothes and I like to figure out my own patterns for clothes. Just <laughs> mostly because I like the challenge. It's fun to try to figure stuff out. Sure. Well, if you were talking with someone who was intrigued or interested in quilting, but maybe a little intimidated to get started, what advice would you offer them? Don't compare your beginnings to my 40 years of experience. Because that's not fair to you as a learner. If I, in my classes, I always say, if you would not say it to your three-year-old grandchild, don't say it to yourself. Because as you're learning, if I came up to you and said, wow, nice effort. That flower doesn't look like my flower. Would that be a positive experience for any new quilter? No, that'd be terrible. You'd quit. But if you say, wow, look at what I did today. Look at where I started. Look at where I've ended up. That's, that's awesome. Yesterday, I couldn't do this at all. You know, yesterday, my points didn't match. Yesterday, the wings of my flying geese kept getting hacked off. And today, they almost all have noses. This is, this is better. <laughs> so always focus on what you're doing. Focus on your improvement rather than whether or not you compare well to whoever is intimidating you. They've spent years and years, decades even, getting to that point. There's an urban legend about, um, and I'm not comparing myself to Picasso because I am not Picasso, but there's an urban legend about him, and I don't know if it's true, but there was a woman in a restaurant in Paris who asked him to sketch something on a napkin for it, for them. And so he did. He drew a little thing on the napkin and he says, okay, that's, that'll be $5,000 or I'm just choosing a number. And she said, what? It took you 30 seconds. And he says, yeah, but it took me 30 years to get to that 30 seconds. That's, that's a great anecdote. So, yeah. Whether or not it's true. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, now we need more quilters to take that to heart and pricing their, their quilts. So when you mentioned earlier about the past two years and being kind of in this dry period or creative funk, what kept you going back to the sewing machine? Um, my husband said to me a long time ago, uh, I was dealing with toddlers and 
it's not a good time in my life. I don't particularly enjoy little kids. I like high school and up. But um, he said, you need to go pet fabric. You're getting kind of mean. (laughs) (laughs) So when I feel myself going into that depression or that, that place, that angry place, I will just run fabric through the machine, just sewing strips together, just mindless. And I'll, I'll try colors together and then eventually I'll cut them apart and put them into other shapes and patterns. And I don't even worry if the seams are straight, just so show up. Because so, is it, so is it just the, the process and the sound of the needle and the yeah. sound of the machine that's kind of meditative for you? It is. And sometimes I'll have no noise in the background. Sometimes I'm watching, um, TV. I watch procedurals that are kind of um, predictable in the way that the storyline goes so that if I'm not watching, it's not important. I have trouble with things that I have to watch, watch. I tell people I binge listen to TV Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'll look up. Like if something sounds interesting, I'll look up and look at it, but it's not, I'm not really binge watching. So right now my daughter and I are watching CSI Miami at night, rewatching the series. And I've seen it before while I was quilting though. So I don't remember, I remember (laughs) storylines, but I don't remember the visual. And so I'm getting a totally new experience watching it for lighting and how they're doing color. And it's fascinating. So it's really kind of fun to binge listen and then binge watch. That's great. Well, do you have a favorite quilt that you've made? Uh, no, well, yeah, I guess I do. The one I was working on right before my dad died, um, it was inspired actually while I was in the waiting room two years before waiting for him to get out of heart surgery at the Cleveland clinic. And they had put in a stint to improve flow and we had watched my dad pink up in real time. He went from the color of oatmeal to pink. Scandinavian pink were pink people. And um, it was incredible. And so I drew, I sketched an aortic blood flow pattern in a notebook with colored pencils and then recreated it in fabric, totally improv. And I named it Fusion. It's huge. It's six feet by, or yeah, six feet by eight feet. I think, yeah. And it's heavy, 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 because there are over 2,500 pieces of fabric in it. Um, And I named it Fusion. And it won a third place ribbon in the... uh, large pieced category in Paducah. So that one's my favorite. I finished it about six hours before my dad died sitting at his bedside. He saw it quilted. Um, I hand buried 10,000 thread tails as I was quilting it. And he was diagnosed with end stage lung cancer on August 6th and died September 12th. And I had just loaded it on the machine on the long arm 
when he was diagnosed. And I knew if I didn't finish it before he died, I would never finish it. And so I did. I spent over 100 hours quilting that thing and burying all of those threads. I slept in compression gloves because my hands were in so much pain from how hard I was clenching those handles because of what I was going through. And I love that quilt. Wow. That's a powerful story. Yeah. And apparently it's intensely emotional to look at, even though you don't know what it is. I mean, you wouldn't know it's arterial blood flow, but uh, the woman who it got a national association of quilt judges award of merit at our local quilt show about a month after I finished it. And she stood in front of it and didn't know the story behind it because when I had had to turn in the narrative about it, dad had just been diagnosed. And so I didn't know what was coming. And um, she stood in front of it and started to cry. And the narrative didn't say anything about what the true story was. And then someone told her what it was. And she said, okay, that's why I felt that. Wow. So are there quilters that have inspired you along the way? Oh, heavens, yes. For so many different reasons. Um, Karen Stone. So if you're listening, Karen, love you. She was, she did the Cinco de Mayo quilt and I made one when my girls were very small. And that was an incredible experience, but I love her work, her color play, her spiky, scrappy approach to quilting is just so inspiring. Kathy York, also out of Texas. I love her work. She did a a three-dimensional quilt of fish going through a cityscape. That one was, I loved watching that one come together. Um, Sean Kimber is an incredible inspiration for me. She's, uh, she says so much through her quilts and I've stood in front of her quilts and cried without knowing the full story behind them. And once I knew the full story, I can't even talk about them without crying. Um, and she's such a wonderful person too. So she's, she's hilarious. Um, and let's see, there's so many more, so many more, but there's, I, I am inspired by traditional quilters, by, um, like Jenny Beyer, her color play from years and years ago with her border fabrics and how things look like they're glowing. I've always, always been super impressed with that. Um, Judy Madsen, her free motion quilting is incredible. So lots and lots of people. So Oh, oh, Kat Jones in Australia. Yes. Who won QuiltCon in 2017, I think. Yes. Yes. She's incredible. Her work with bias tape just makes my head explode. What does she do with bias tape? Oh, go! She's two cats quilt on two cats quilts on Instagram. Go look back in her feed. It, okay. She does these mandalas with um, circles and bias tape, and I want to make one, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't enjoy applique enough to do it. So I just admire them. So, what uh, sewing machine do you use for piecing? 
I have a Janome 7700, and I love that one. I got it at um, AQS Chattanooga. It was a demo, a floor demo, so I got it for about half price, which is incredible. Um, and then I have a Janome 3160. I think that's the number of it, QDC or Quilter's Little One. That's my workshop machine. Um, or I take to retreats. I have a bunch of featherweights that I don't use often, but I have. I've only bought one of them. The rest sort of are like strays. They show up at my house. <laughs> and I have a the Innova 22, like I said, that's new to me and it's it's brand new. And oh my goodness, that machine is just so delightful. I don't have any computerization on it at all other than the lightning stitch that comes with it, which is the stitch regulator. Right. So why did you opt not for the computer? Well, I would have doubled the price. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one daughter who's about to go to college and another who's a junior in high school. So I knew that I couldn't justify it with tuition on the horizon. But also I love free motion quilting and I don't want my work to look computerized because I'm not a computer. I actually embrace some of the mistakes. There's an art teacher at our school that says there's no such thing as a mistake. There's just an opportunity for a rapid design change. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I'll pick stuff out if it's egregious, but usually I'll just figure out a way to work with it. So Angela Walters has a demonstration where she writes the word oops in cursive with her needle and thread, you know, with her machine. And then she goes around with free motion quilting around it. And unless you know that word is there, you can't find it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, it's awesome. So do you have a favorite notion or ruler? Um, I have a four and a half by eight and a half inch creative grids ruler. I lost it for, uh, I don't know, six months and finally just got mad and bought another one. So now I have two. I found it. So apparently when you clean your sewing room, you find things. You do. You do. <laughs> You'd think that I would remember this and continue to, you know, live by it. But no, no. So when I'm in the middle of a creative burst, it looks like something exploded all over my sewing room. So as I mentioned earlier, you have done uh, many Bonnie Hunter mystery quilts. She does her annual mystery quilt that she starts on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, to give people an alternative to a project during the holidays, um, and usually finishes the clues in early January, and she releases them once a week. I'm curious, uh, and I think that might be how I originally discovered and connected with you. I can't remember. Um, but I'm curious, um, how did you first learn of Bonnie Hunter and her mystery quilts? Uh, well, Bonnie Hunter is another one who has inspired me for a long time, just because her system of using up scraps really, really appealed to me after our house fire. Um, because it, she's another one who's, why have it if you're not going to use it? Go ahead and use it. And don't worry if it's ugly. If it's still ugly, cut it you know, cut it smaller. <laughs> and she, she loves showing when she's used a particularly hideous fabric and Hey, look, you know, 
there's some ugly fabric right there, but you wouldn't know. Look how well it works with the one next to it. And I just, I love that. She's another one who's inspired me a lot and I've met her. Uh, she came to our local guild and did a class and I didn't take the class because I was teaching and it was during the day on a Friday and then the Saturday one was full. But I was so inspired by her that I came home and organized my um, scraps and the stash I was tired of into strips and bricks and little squares, etc. And that has freed me up tremendously. But her mysteries, I started, I did the first one in 2013, the Celtic Solstice. And I've done every one since. Sometimes I do two, although I have to be careful when I do two. I can hurt myself from the ironing because I get competitive. I want to finish fast. So <laughs> one of my mine are done faster than other people's, which is ridiculous. It's not a competition, but I've just got that competitive streak. And But I love watching them all come together. In, on social media and watching how different they are depending on the color choices people make. But I agree. That's, that's one of the fun things about her yeah. annual mystery is seeing all oh, of I love it. colors. Yeah. And I love seeing how people change them. Like, oh, I hate doing flying geese. So I made this change. Well, okay, cool. You know, that's how you gain confidence stepping away from patterns is going, you know, I don't like doing that. So I'm not going to. So I don't particularly enjoy applique, so I will find ways not to do it. <laughs> so I still haven't done any applique, so I guess yeah, that's what I feel about it. I can do it. I'm reasonably good at it, but I just, I don't enjoy it. So, except lately sitting in, at night, because my daughter's about to leave for college and because we've been in quarantine and she can't see her friends, I've been sitting with her every night and watching CSI Miami or other procedurals because she's fascinated by this stuff also. And we talk about it. It's led to some really good conversations about campus safety, what to do, etc. But I have finished so many quilts this summer sitting in front of the TV with her and getting bindings on, appliqueing, when there's, you know, that's the one job that's been put, put a quilt in timeout. Um, and then getting, digging stuff like that out and getting those done. And it's been fantastic. So I don't know if I just took time to sit still, I think I'd like applique better, but I don't sit still very well. Sure. So where can people find you online to learn more about you and your quilts? I am um, messy goat on Instagram. And I do have a blog, but it's pretty much dormant right now, messygoat.com. Um, my Instagram feed is not all quilts, though. I don't have the attention span to maintain more than one. So my real life will be there, too, in all its glory or happiness or sadness. I try not to post political stuff um, because as a teacher, I'm supposed to make my classroom a comfortable environment for everyone. And sometimes kids find me online. And so I have to be careful what I post. So, but I do post more quilt pictures than probably anything followed closely by cats. <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Elaine Whit Poplin, a quilter in Huntsville, Alabama. You can check out her work on Instagram at Messy Goat. And Elaine, thanks for doing this interview. 
thanks so much, Jeff. I had a good time, and I still can't believe we both did a soft sculpture doll. That's just I know. craziness. I, know. I can't believe <laughs> we didn't know that we had both done a soft sculpture doll. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Mine has a face only a mother could love.